Oh, can you believe it? It's already 2020. Here we are, the very first Sunday of a new year, and I'm excited about this talk because I think it's going to be challenging to you. I pray it will be. It was challenging to me while working on it, so maybe it will translate uh, to you in that way as well. And then don't forget, I've already mentioned it, don't forget every one of you, every one of you that are here right now, and how many of you know that includes all of you? Just thought I'd mention that. Be sure you're back next week and bring somebody with you, standing strong. A look at the life of Daniel. Uh, I'm really, really fired up about what God is going to do during uh, that time together, starting next week. Now, how many of you know that you are never going to drift into commitment? You never do. Nobody does. You drift, I drift, anybody will drift if our life is like a neutral on autopilot what we will do is we will drift toward complacency and not commitment. And that can happen to any of us. Probably for most of us, it has happened at some point in time where you can say, hey, there was a season in my life, and maybe you're in that season right now, by the way, where you're like, you know, I just feel like I'm drifting spiritually. And maybe in your prayer life, it's just not like really uh, fired up. You just feel like maybe you're going through the motions and you're praying because that's what Christians are supposed to do. They're supposed to pray. So you're praying, uh, but it's not, you don't really feel anything dynamic going on. It may be that uh, you feel like you're in a little bit of a drift uh, in terms of reading your Bible. Uh, hopefully you are reading your Bible, but sometimes even if you are reading your Bible, it begins to take on just a sense of being obligatory rather than a passionate interest where you're like, you know what? I'm going after God. I want to see what God has to say to my life. Uh, Maybe you know you should be sharing your faith and talking to your friends and your coworkers about Jesus, but you're like, you know, I don't want to really ruffle any feathers, and I want to just sort of keep it quiet that I'm a Christian. I don't want them to think I, like I'm a really weird, fanatical kind of person, so I'm just going to keep that to myself. And again, none of us, you're not, I'm not, nobody is ever going to drift toward greater levels of commitment. If we drift, we're always going to drift uh, toward becoming more complacent. And I can't tell you the number of times I'm, uh, you know, I've been a pastor for a long time now. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you the number of times where I've watched and I'm not judging. I'm just telling you my observation has been where I see people who are like initially like really, 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 really fired up for God. But then after a matter of time, you just sort of turn around and look, and they're just sort of, as quickly as they became fired up, they as quickly become flamed out. And, you know, just with the passage of time, they're drifting, and you just see them getting wobbly in their spiritual life. And I, I just, I simply don't want that kind of tragedy to happen to you. You know what I hope for you? I hope that for you, 2020 is going to be the best year in your spiritual life than you've ever had before. And that can happen. It can happen. You're saying, well, you know, maybe you're a little pessimistic, but I've been a Christian for 30 years now. I don't care. I mean, that's wonderful. But I still believe, even if you've been a Christian for 30 years, that this can be the best year of your life spiritually. I believe that for you. I want it for me. I'm so hungry for that in my own life, and I believe that it can happen for us, but we're not going to drift into it. We're going to have to make some commitments in order for that to become a reality. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you some practical stuff, sort of in part two of the talk, but on the front end, sort of the first half, uh, 45, 50% of this talk, I want to just uh, have you look and be reminded, those of you that have seen this life before, 
before. Some of you, you're not familiar with Solomon, but you're going to become familiar with him now or re-engage with his life again now. And I want us to start with this verse right here. Take a look at this verse. As Solomon grew old, his wives, you're saying typo, guys. Y'all need to pay attention to that. No, not a typo. I'll come back to it. His wives, oh my goodness, turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not, read these three words, not fully devoted. Okay, this time more than 8% of you. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. And that's what I want to talk to you for just a little bit this morning about being fully devoted, like wholehearted devotion to God. Like in 2020, this is going to be, it's not going to be a perfect year for me. It does not necessarily mean it's going to be, you know, absent of challenges, but this is going to be the best year that I've ever had in my life spiritually. Now you see that verse, it's still on the screen. A couple of comments uh, would be in order here. I've already pointed this out to you. As Solomon grew old, his wives, and we're not talking about, you know, spread over times in succession, all at once, all at once, had, uh, Solomon had wives, a bunch of them. Now, how many of you how many of you would say, not only was Solomon becoming a little bit uh, apathetic in his life, he, he's stupid. He's a stupid man. I mean, wives, all, I mean, that, that's a whole nother story, and we don't have time to get into that. But he's married to a lot of different women, and all of them have a credit card. And uh, it's, it's like, it's just like insane for him. The other thing uh, that I want you to realize uh, on the front edge of this concerning Solomon is that he was full of potential. His family had, uh, you know, pointed him in the right direction. He, he didn't have to undergo a radical break from paganism. You know, his dad, and I'll mention this in a moment, had made some mistakes in his life. David had. There's no doubt about it. And the scriptures uh, do not try to hide that from us. Uh, David, King David, was not a perfect man. Yet, well, after walking through some of his own unwise decisions and some of his own spiritual failures, David, who had been in drift mode for a long time, got back on track with God, became passionate with God to the point that he is recorded in history as being a man after the heart of God, even after all the mistakes that he made in his life. And he wants things to be different for his son. He wants his son to have a privilege and an opportunity that, that he had not had afforded to him. And he wants to point him in the right direction spiritually. And, and I'm sure that every dad here, that uh, this would be something that you would want to be true in the lives of your kids. You're like, you know what? I, I know God and I want to be sure that my kids know God. Because how many of you know that our kids and our grandkids are growing up in a world unlike what this world was like 20, 30, 40 years ago? And, and your kids need the protection of God. Your grandkids need the influence of church in, in their lives. So uh, David wants to set his son up right. He wants to give him some fatherly spiritual wisdom. Look at this next verse. Take a look at this with me. And you, this is David now talking to his son Solomon. And you, my son Solomon... Acknowledge the God of your father. In other words, the God that I serve, Solomon, I want to be the God that you serve. I want you to be devoted to this God. And I want you to serve him. Look at this phrase. I want you to serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, son, he's going to be found by you. But if you forsake him, if you reject him, if you go into like drift mode, he will reject you forever. You don't play around with God. 
is what David was saying. And I want you to move in the right direction. And so David is pouring into his life. He wants him to be fully devoted to God. He granted him detailed instructions because David had actually, you know, again, he's recorded in history, even after all of his mistakes as a man after the heart of God. And he looks at this nice house that he's living in and he sees that the house of God is like in shambles. And it's like, I've got to do something about this. And God deserves better than this. And David actually wanted to build a temple for God so that people could come together and worship God and consecrate themselves to God. And yet uh, the God says, in essence, a whole nother story we're not going to get into. He's like, David, I appreciate it. But man, you've been a warrior. You've been a warrior. You're a man of a lot of bloodshed. It's just the history and everything that was going on in Israel at that time, defending themselves. And and he said, you've been a man of bloodshed. You're not the guy to build a temple for me. But here's what I'm going to allow to happen. I'm going to allow your son, Solomon, to build the temple. So David said, all right, you know, I understand, get it. I'd like to do it. But if I can't, then at least allow my son, Solomon, to be instrumental in building this temple for you. And so uh, he and God had an agreement about that. Solomon's going to lead Israel now. David sort of lays out the plan and said, hey, son, I wanted to do this for God. God wouldn't allow me to. I've been a warrior. You know that. But uh, you're going to be permitted to build a temple for God. And this is going to be a place that's going to be used for worship and for consecration. This verse is not on the screen, but the very next verse says it like this. For the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. So David is just pouring. He knows the end of his life is at hand, and he wants to pour because he wants his son to grow up to be a great man of God. He doesn't want him to go on his spiritual trip. He wants him to be passionate about God and committed to God. And so he reminded him, hey, Solomon, if you would do this, if you would have like this unswerving devotion to God, if you would like have this, this cooperation with God and God's plan and purpose for your life and for this kingdom, then here's what God's going to do. He's not only going to do all the great things that we've been talking about, God will establish through you an enduring dynasty in Israel. So I'm telling you, Solomon is set up to be a major winner. He's set up to be a man of God. And his dad is poured into his life. He has all the right influences. Everything started out right. In fact, when uh, Solomon comes into power, he has this occasion. Again, I'm just giving you sort of the big idea of what's going on in Solomon's life. He came before God, and God says, hey, I want to uh, just, you know, I, I had this relationship with your dad, and, and uh, I want to have a relationship with you, and, and you can ask me for anything. You just ask, and I'm standing ready. I'm standing ready to give you whatever you need. And Solomon, again, he started out so right. When God tells him that, uh, you know, you request anything and I'm going to grant that to you. One of the things you notice right away is that what Solomon did not ask for. Solomon humbled himself before God. And again, it started out really, really good. And he humbled himself before God and he did not. He did not ask for more power. He had a lot of power, but he didn't ask for more. He didn't ask for more fame. He had a lot of fame just being the son of David, now the new leader of Israel, potential future dynasty leader, but he didn't ask for more fame. And he didn't ask for more money. He didn't ask for more wealth. Instead, again, he humbly asked God uh, out of everything he could have asked God for. He said, God, this is what I need. I feel, you know, I feel sort of intimidated following in the shoes of my dad. He's a great warrior, great king, man after your own heart. And here's what I need more than anything else in my life right now. I need wisdom and I need discernment. 
And God opens up this incredible story. God opens up the windows of heaven, and he just rains down wisdom and discretion. And uh, he, gives, uh, he gives Solomon everything that he needs. Plus, he adds to that the things that, that Solomon didn't even ask for that God wanted to bless him with nevertheless. So he blesses him with wealth and influence and all of that. And if you were to chart out, if you were grafting Solomon's life, you would look at him at this stage in the game, and you would notice that everything in Solomon's life was up and moving to the right. It was all headed in the right direction. He was a brilliant guy. He was an expert in botany. How many of you know what that is? Some of you are experts in botany, and you don't even know it. How many of you know what it is? Okay, you can look it up if you don't know. I'm not going to tell you. Work for it. Come on. I'm not going to give you all the answers. He was an expert in botany and zoology, and, and he was a writer. Do you know, uh, attributed to Solomon are over 2,000 proverbs like these wise sayings. Do you know that Solomon, listen to this. Do you know that Solomon wrote over 1,000 songs? Some of them we sing here at church. No, not really. I've just made that part up. But he wrote over a thousand songs. Do you know that Solomon won one season Dancing with the Stars? Okay, I really did make that up. Okay, so he didn't, he didn't win. But I mean, his life is amazing. And 2 Chronicles chapter 7 tells us that after he finishes this temple that God allowed him to build in place of his father David, that at the dedication of the temple, that there's this visible fire. How many of you know that? It gets your attention. A visible fire came down from heaven and the glory or the presence of God filled the temple. You couldn't even stand there because the power and the glory and the presence of God was just so thick in this temple at its dedication. Having said all that, if there's anybody in the Old Testament that God would just say, hey, Jeff, you get a vote and you just vote on the person that would be least likely to avoid me, the least likely person to go into spiritual drift, the least likely person that would just wane on their commitment to me, then I'm telling you, Solomon would be at the top of the list because I would say no way, no how. It couldn't happen to Solomon. No, not him. But it did. And I'm not going to take the time this morning to guide us through the tragic downfall in Solomon's life. But uh, I, I will tell you this. It was not only tragic, it was also unnecessary. Now, I'm not a pessimistic guy. If you know me at all, I'm the, I'm the flip side of that. I am, I am positive to the extent that it's almost borderline unrealistic. Because sometimes it's hard to define reality when you're like overly positive. But I'm not pessimistic, but I do want to be a realist and say that if you and I think that we can just be casual about our commitment to God, that we can just sort of put our commitment to God on cruise control because we're busy about pursuing everything, you know, we've got everything going on at work and raising a family and trying to make money and we've got all these distractions. If we think, any person here, me, you, that we can just put that portion of our life on hold and we're going to be okay, I will tell you, at great uh, peril and risk to ourselves, we can find ourselves in a very similar situation to Solomon, where our life just starts out right. We have the right dreams, ideas, ambitions. We want to go. We, we fully intended that God would be the priority of our life and of our family and of our home and of our marriage, but then things take a dramatic turn. I, I guess I'm trying to say it to you this way. If it could happen to Solomon, it could happen to you. If it could happen to Solomon, it could happen to me. 
So you and I have got to be conscious about steps that we're making, and we've got to be very, very intentional. Again, let me say it. You, me, nobody, nobody will ever drift into commitment. We will always drift into complacency. Now, here's the kind of guy I am. If I need to work on something, don't give me 12 things to work on. I can't process 12 things. I can't process eight things. I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'll get focused on a narrow amount of things and I'll just try to hit those things and then I can add that later. The point being, there's so many different things that we could talk about today, but on this first Sunday of a new year, there are five things I want to mention. And can I just say, I think five may be a little bit too much and you may be like, you know what? I'm with you, Jeff. Don't give me 12 things to work on, 10, eight things. Five may be a little bit much for me, but I'm going to throw out five because some of them... You may be doing well in, and others you'll be like, yep, those are the two or three that I've got to get really, really better at. So this is sort of the second half of the talk, and I'm going to mention five things that if you want to avoid apostasy and complacency and just drifting and making stupid mistakes in your own life rather than being fully engaged to God, then I'm going to give you some things uh, that you, you and I can be working on again this year because I'm praying this for you. And I'm going to pray it every week of my life this year for you that this will be the best year spiritually that you have ever had. How many of you would like that to happen? Just wave at me like this. To be the best year that you have ever had spiritually. Let me just tell you, it is not going to happen by accident. You're going to have to be very, very intentional about it. You know, if, if, if you want to be good at something, you don't just approach it casually. You got to get after it. See, I know a lot of you are not ever going to be a professional golfer like me. I know that. Be careful, Gig. You've seen me play. All right. So maybe I'm not a professional golfer, but if you wanted to get better at any area of your life, you know, you got to be devoted to that, right? You got to be committed to it. And if you're going to be devoted to God and you're going to have the best year that you've ever had spiritually, then again, you've got to be very, very intentional about it. All right. So I want to give you five things. Five may be a little bit too much. So you take the ones that you need to work on most. Number one, and I'll just call it soul engaging prayer because any of us can just sort of go through the motions. Any of us can go through the repetition. Can I just tell you this? About 25 years ago as a young pastor, uh, I think at the time I was 10 years old, one of the youngest pastors in all of America. And uh, about 25 years ago, God really, really confronted me in my prayer life of all things. And he, and he said, Jeff, I'm noticing. And, and he, I didn't feel reprimanded. I didn't feel condemned. But it, I, I felt challenged in my spirit. It was like I sensed. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was just so loud. It was like louder than audible. It was like, Jeff, uh, Jeff here's what I want you to know. You are praying like the Pharisees. I'm like, what? Yeah, with vain repetition. You just, and, and you know what? When I really paused and thought about it, I'm like, God, you're exactly right. Because how many of you know God is always right all the time, whether we agree or not. So God was exactly right, but I got it. I understood. And he said, you know what I've noticed? It's like you can pray. You can go through your prayer life, and you can actually be praying and working on about three or four projects at the same time. Can any of you do that? Have you, you ever accomplished this? Because I had prayed similar things for so long, I wasn't even engaging my mind. I wasn't engaging my heart. I wasn't engaging my soul. I had just prayed about similar things for so long that I could be like praying those things. You know, I guess it was a gift. I could be praying and working on stuff at the same time. And God would be like, you know what? You're praying like the Pharisees. 
in vain repetition. You're not even engaging your mind. You're not engaging your heart. Jeff, you're not engaging your soul. You know, I think I got a little bit of credit because I was at least setting aside some time to really talk to God. But in essence, over time, I really wasn't talking to God. I was just going through the motions. And so he challenged me. It's a long story. I don't have time to get into it. But at that time, because again, if I try to do one thing, my mind's thinking about four things. I felt challenged to pray. And it was about that time that I just started writing out my prayers because I stayed really, really focused. And it kept me from praying the same things. And still to this day, legal pad, about 28 lines. And I just split it up. Uh, You know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And I just write out my prayer to God. And then I pray through that prayer. But we've got to engage our soul in prayer. And uh, somebody had made this statement. It's a great statement. Someone has rightly said, prayer is learned behavior. Nobody is born an expert at it. No one ever masters prayer. You're never going to master prayer. I've been a Christian a long time. I've been a pastor, as I mentioned, a long time. I don't have prayer, you know, mastered. I'm always looking for ways to, like, engage my mind better, engage my heart, my soul better in regards to prayer. To where I'm just having a conversation. Some of you are like, you know what, Jeff? I don't have any prayer life. And you're intimidated by praying because you're like, I don't know. You know, I'm not a preacher. I don't know the Bible that well. And, um, you know, I just, I don't even know how to talk to God. Let me just say it this way. You do. You just don't know you do. If you know how to talk to people, how many of you know how to talk to people? How many of you have somebody sitting next to you? They know how to talk to people better than you. No, don't even go there. Don't even go there. But if you can talk to people, you can talk to God. Because God's not looking for you to like sound really high-minded and spiritual. God just wants you to have a conversation with him. Wants you to talk to him normally. You don't even have to know all the these and thous. Isn't that good news? Just talk to him. Like you would. Like you would a, a friend on the phone. And if it helps you to pray, just pick up the phone and pretend. You're sort of good at that, I'm sure. And just pick up the phone and pretend that God is on the other end because he's hearing you anyhow. And he doesn't even have to have a phone, by the way, in case you didn't know that. And you can just be having a God. I just, and you have a conversation with God that is going to engage your soul. We're coming into a time of 14 days of prayer and fasting, and now would be a great, great time for you uh, to get started with that and just say, you know what, God, my prayer life is just really stunk to this part, and I just know that I need to have conversation because you and I know this. It doesn't matter if it's your spouse, if it's your kids, your parents, your friends. If you're not talking to them, the relationship is not going to be enhanced. And if you're not talking to God and giving God opportunities to talk to you, and that's a whole other story, and finding moments of solitude to allow God to speak to you because you slowed down your RPMs. And man, your relationship with God is not going to become nearly as vibrant as it could have been if, unless you're talking to him. You know what? God wants to hear from you. I like what somebody has written, and it's so true. Prayerless people cut themselves off from God's prevailing power, and the frequent result is the familiar feeling of being overwhelmed, overrun, beat down, pushed around, defeated. Surprising numbers of people are willing to settle for lives like that. Don't be one of them, this writer says. Nobody has to live like that. Prayer is the key to unlocking God's prevailing power in your life. And I just want to say amen to that, echo that, because there's a certain amount of power that you're never going to have in your life if you're not talking to God. So is that the one that you need to work on? If, if 2020 is going to be the best year of your life spiritually, are you going to have to become involved in soul-engaging prayer where you're really just having conversations with God, like normal conversations with God? Where you're not trying to impress him or, you know, you're just trying to talk to him. And maybe you take a few moments at the end of that and just get real silent, real quiet, which I know is hard. 
You know, are anybody in this room like me? I can be, I can be quiet for 60 seconds. That's about it. Any of you like that? Wave, wave at me. To say, you know, Jeff, sit down for 15 minutes and don't say or do anything. I'm like, what? My mind has just went a gazillion different directions. But it doesn't have to be 15 minutes. It can be some moments where you've had a normal conversation with God, and then you give God a chance to talk to you. All right, number two. It's what I'm going to call soul food. Soul food. How many of you have ever had junk food in your life? Huh? How many of you had some over the holidays? I'm actually, one of the bullets, I've, I've said this to a couple of friends this morning. They knew I was on vacation, and I'm like, they're like, what do you do? You hang out with the grandkids? I'm like, no, the grandkids won't be here till January the 23rd. And, and so uh, I was talking to Brody. Brody's two the other day on FaceTime. His dad was holding him. And I said, I can't wait for you to get down here. And uh, Papa wants to see you. And he looked at his dad. His dad's holding him. He said, I want Papa to come over. And I wasn't able to come over. I wanted to, I wanted to crawl through the phone and be with him. So, you know, somebody was asking, were you with the grandkids? I'm like, no. I said, this is what I did on my vacation. I would start of the day, get up, go have a great workout, and then I would park it in Chick-fil-A. Anybody surprised by that? <laughs> I'd park it in a back booth in Chick-fil-A, and I would literally sit there for an hour and a half to two hours just reading. And uh, man, it was, it was like replenishing, and it was so, just reading some different stuff. I've been reading, but one of the things that I picked up recently is a book about food, you know, because, you know, you go for an annual checkup, and I need to do that, and, you know, well, the doctor I used to have is not the doctor that I have now. The doctor I used to have, and he's a great, great doctor, and he changed practice or something, but this was guy was hard for me to go to because he was about five foot four, and he weighed about 140 pounds if he was holding two 10-pound dumb, dumbbells. And so he'd look at me, and, and he'd like, he, he, I mean, I like to think that I'd eat pretty clean, and, and um, you know, that's the book I was reading about how to eat more clean, and it's a great book by a leading doctor out at Cleveland Clinic because I want to do a little bit better this year. And so he'd look at me, and, and I mean, I like to think I take pretty good care of myself, and he would just pat me on the tummy like that, and I'd be like, what? He'd tell you, you need to lose about eight pounds. I mean, hey, listen, I'm not eight. I'm not eight pounds overweight. I'm four inches under tall. That's my problem. <laughs> I'm not overweight. I'm, I'm under tall. And so I just started reading that book because I eat clean for the most part, but I wanted to eat cleaner. And so I'm just, how can I put better food into my body? And you know what? What I'm even more passionate, and that's important to me, but what is more passionate to me, way more passionate, is putting the right food into my life spiritually. I'll just say it like this. Maybe you're a better Christian than I am. Maybe you're a way better Christian than I am. I just know this about me. I know myself well enough that if you shut down my prayer life, that time of communicating with God, and you take away my Bible, my Bible and my opportunity to read, then I'm, I'm in serious trouble spiritually. Because a lot of times, that's what keeps me on track. And if you can do it without it, I don't know how you do it, to be honest. If you're a Christian, you don't have a prayer life, and you never read your Bible, I don't know how you do it. I couldn't. But man, that just helps keep me focused and moving in the right direction spiritually. Because I'm just like all the rest of you. I'm not drifting toward commitment. If I shift my life into neutral, I drift toward complacency. And I'm just not willing to allow that to happen. 
And I know sometimes you think, well, you know, I, I know I need to read the Bible, Jeff. I, I, I know I need to, but a lot of it doesn't make sense to me. Keep reading. You know, I've read the Bible, and I don't say this bragging. I've read the Bible through, I don't even know how many times. And I've read through stuff, I'm like, I don't even get that. I don't even know why that's in the Bible. And maybe I didn't even see anything the second time or the third time. But I've got passages. I kid you not, this happened this week. I was highlighting things in my Bible that I've never seen before. At least when I saw them, I didn't see them. It didn't speak to me. And now I've read the Bible through at least 20 times or more. And it's like, I've never seen that before. Has that been there the whole time? And maybe it's just in that season in your life or mine that God speaks to us and shows us something that otherwise we wouldn't see it. And you're not going to understand it. I still read a lot today, and, you know, my, my education and my profession is the Bible. I get paid to read the Bible. Can you believe that? And to teach the Bible. And I love it. And I love communicating it to you. But you know what? There's just something about sitting down, and even when I don't understand it, I just keep reading. All right, God, I maybe don't see anything right now, but I know later, and I'll, I'll be back to this section, and I'll see something, and then it'll speak to me. And, man, I'm telling you, I like to read. You know that by now. I like to read, but there's nothing that I look more forward to reading than my Bible. And again, I don't understand, nor would you. I love this story. In Sunday school, they were teaching how God created everything, included human beings. Little Johnny seemed especially intent when they told him how Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. That just blew his little mind. Later in the week, his mother noticed little Johnny lying down as though he were very ill and said, Johnny, what's the matter, son? Little Johnny responded, I have a pain in my side, Mama. I think I'm going I'm, I'm to have a wife. <laughs> that didn't hit you at will later. Ask somebody to help you, all right? It's just, I don't get it. I don't get it. What does that mean? Thirdly, everybody needs trustworthy friends. You need some trustworthy friends. Well, I, I know I do, Pastor Jeff, but where do I get them? I've had conversations with people about that recently. You know, we're getting ready, and uh, Pastor Craig is like phenomenal at leading our small groups, and we offer so many unbelievable small groups. Here's what you need to do this time. Right, is everybody, wave at me if you're listening right now. If you're asleep, don't wave, okay? If you're listening, wave. All right, this year, when we get ready to start small groups, here's my challenge to you. I want you to lead one, and if you don't lead one, I want you to join one. That's simple, isn't it? Either lead one or join one. Because everybody needs trustworthy friends. We need people in our life that will listen to our struggles. I've got a couple of people in my life that, man, they tell me everything, and I tell them everything, and I'm like, I feel totally safe with them. They feel safe with me. We talk about our struggles. We talk about our weaknesses, and we don't cast judgment on each other, but we keep each other um, we, we keep each other accountable, and uh, we love each other, and we inspire each other to greatness, and that just doesn't happen unless you're, like, really intentional about it. John Ortberg, in a book that I read some time ago, he made this statement. He said, every human being you know is making a request of their friends, though it usually goes unspoken. Here's what they ask. Motivate me. Call out the best in me. Believe in me. Encourage me when I'm tempted to quit. Speak truth to me and remind me of my deepest values. Help me to achieve my greatest potential. Tell me again what God called me to be, what I might yet become. Inspire me. And everybody wants that. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants to have friends, at least everybody that I know and talk to. 
but you don't get a relationship with God being apathetic and you're not going to build trustworthy friendships if you just say, you know, and here's a mistake. I want friends. Bring them on. Bring them on. Just come be my friend. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. You've got to be an initiator. Don't be passive. Don't be passive about your marriage. Don't be passive about your relationship with God. Don't be passive about your friendships. You've got to be intentional. This stuff just doesn't just happen. Number four, consistent worship. Consistent worship. Acts 2.42. Look at this verse right up here on the screen. Acts 2.42, they spent their time. They spent their time. They were intentional about gathering together with other believers. This is right out of the book of Acts when the church is is birthed and founded. They spent their time in learning from the apostles, taking part in the fellowship, and sharing in the fellowship meals and prayers. It was intentional for them to come together in consistent worship. You see, the strength of the early church flowed out of an infusion of power that happened when they came together corporately. And just some things happen with us that needs to happen like one-on-one with God And then there are things that can only happen when we're like in a small group that I know all of you are now going to either lead one or join one. But then, you know, we need to be together like we are where we can inspire each other. You know what? If I'm having a tough week, one of the best things that happens to me is I come in and I get to hang out with you and it just builds me up. Because maybe my week, and I know you think every week uh, of mine is like fantastic, great, never, it never could be better. But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I mentioned it. I'm just like you. I have great weeks and I have... Uh, you know, pathetic weeks. But when I come together and I'm like worshiping with you and getting a chance to engage with you, it's, it, it does something to me spiritually. And, and I think it's a really important thing. And, and listen, because I'm an older guy now, I used to, you know, I remember, I remember when I was the young guy. I was thinking about this recently. I remember when I was the young pastor. I'm not the young pastor anymore. But I'm an older guy now. And so, um, I want to just speak to those of you that are parents and you have kids that are at home. Uh, we're not there now, but we were there. And, and I'm just telling you this, you talk to Drew, who's sitting here uh, on the front row, or you talk to Audrey, who I think is serving down in the kids area. If you want to talk to Brent, I'll give you his phone number and you can call him anytime, middle of the night, whenever you want to call him. But they'll tell you, man, we, we were serious about this. And our kids were involved in sports. You know, I like sports. And Brent still talks about it to this day. Drew will as well. I mean, uh, Brent would say, I used to tell coaches because, and listen, I'm a sports guy. I'm a sports guy, but I want you parents to listen to me. I'm a sports guy. I'm telling you, it concerns me as a pastor how prolific that sports have become in the lives of families. I'm a sports guy. My kids played sports. I would say to them every time they got a schedule, hey, give me your schedule because dad wants to write down your games because I'm going to be at every single game I possibly can unless it's an absolute. So it was, this is, I'm not talking about a guy who doesn't appreciate sports or didn't have kids that played sports. It concerns me the way that our kids miss church because of sports. Are you Okay. It concerns me the way that our kids miss church because of sports. And Brent will say to this day, he laughs about it. He, he says, Dad, I can remember when it was like travel ball, and a coach would say, hey, I want you on this travel ball team, or we're, you know, all end of the year all-star team, and I knew that we were going to travel, play Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday. And, and his, Brent, Brent's mantra, Drew's mantra was this, I'd have to say to the coach, I'd have to say to the coach, I'd love to play on your team, but just as long as you know, my parents are not going to let me play on Sundays because I got to be in church. Now, if that's a problem, I can't play on the team. 
And fortunately, they were good enough athletes. Coach was like, we'll take you on Friday and Saturday. Forget Sunday. You know, go to church. And, uh, and it didn't hurt them sports-wise. They still, I mean, Brent, Brent paid for his education, saved us a lot of money by playing baseball for four years. He was scouted up into a senior year of college, hit more home runs than prob- I think had ever been hit on that team or at least tied the record and was being scouted by, by big leads until he broke his hand. And you know what? He never could look back and say, Dad, I would have made it to the pros had I been able to play on Sundays. That's foolishness. I never would allow my kids to say, you know what? I don't want to go to school today. Why not? I just don't. I'd rather stay home, watch TV. You get your butt to school. I mean, is that okay to say in church? Maybe I should have. Maybe should have. You get your butt to school. You are going to school. But it's funny that it's funny that I watch parents like, no, you're going to school Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. No, we're not going to church today. We had a busy week. Mom's tired. Dad's tired. We got in late last night. Are you okay with this? Consistent worship. If you don't make it a priority, guess what? Your kids will never make it a priority. In fact, they will take your level of commitment and they'll come in underneath here. It always happens generation to generation. Everybody, wave your hand. You're still my friend. I'm still your friend. And lastly, and I'll just hit it, go in public. Go in public. That's water baptism. You need to do it. I would get baptized, but I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. You know, in other countries scattered around the world, when they get baptized, it means that if their family member or employee knows that they've been baptized, they're going to be disenfranchised from their family. They may lose their job. In some countries, if they go public about a commitment to Christ, they may lose their life. And so don't worry about us dropping you in water. I know some of you have heard me tell the story of my home church. And I'd just laugh as a kid because I'd see people that I'd know. I'd be sitting out there and I'd know when they came walking down into the water who was nervous and who was not. And some of you have heard me tell this story. This lady comes walking down into the water and she's like, she's like really nervous. And I could see it. I'm like, ooh, this could be so good. And I can't wait. And she's like really nervous. And our pastor said, now I baptize you in the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit. She had been to the water baptism class. She had heard you're supposed to hold your nose. But she was, she's just like, she's nervous. And I saw the pastor and I loved it. He said, hold the nose. Hold the nose, hold the nose. And instead of reaching up and doing this, she was so panicked, she reached up and held the pastor's nose. <laughs> and he's just standing there. I baptize you in the name of the Father. <laughs> Go public. Three verses, we're done. You okay this morning? Yeah. Is this going to be the best year of your life you've ever had spiritually? then you're going to have to be intentional. Here we go. Many people from the province of Judea and the city of Jerusalem went out to hear John. They confessed their sins and he baptized them in the Jordan River. Look at this next one. I like it. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I really like this one. Look at this one. When all the people were being baptized, guess who else was being baptized? If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you and it's good enough for me. Well, I'm going to be baptized now. Good. January the 26th, three weeks from tonight. I want you to mark it down. And I want you to go public. I hope I get to baptize 50 of you. That you just said, you know what? It's time for me to go public. If you're married, you wear a wedding ring. Why do you wear a wedding ring? 
because it's an outward symbol of an inner decision that you made in your heart. That's what water baptism is. It's an outward symbol of an inner commitment that you made to Jesus, but you got to go public about it. So, soul-engaging prayer. Maybe you're like me. You can't work on 12 things. I can't. Don't do that to me. You're just driving me crazy. I can't. I can't work on 10 or 8. I really can't work very well on 7 or 6. And Maybe you can't work on all 5. But what hits you today? Soul-engaging prayer? Soul food, you start feeding your soul. Trustworthy friends because you're either leading or connecting to a small group. Consistent worship because worship is a priority for you and your kids are going to see that demonstrated in your life or your friends or your family. And have you gone public? And if not, three weeks, I'll meet you in the tank. And don't you hold my nose. I'll hold you under so long you'll fight me. Let's stand for prayer. And God, may this be the best year that these, your people, have ever, ever, ever had spiritually. Lord, that we would talk with you and have communication with you, soul engaging prayer, that we will get serious about the Bible. And when we read stuff that doesn't make any sense to us, we'll keep on reading because you're going to speak to us. That God will have trustworthy friends. We'll get connected to a small group this year. We'll be consistent in our worship. In three weeks, we're going public. We don't care who knows. In fact, we want everybody to know Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. And God, help us, we pray. Help us, we pray. Do this. Whether we're 10 years old or whether we're 90 years old, whether we've been a Christian for three weeks or for 50 years, let this be the best year that we've ever had spiritually. Pray for every person here in Jesus' name. I love you, everybody. See you next Sunday. Have a great week.